0: second scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed have been condemned justly we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come, speak through me the words that you have for the people of God this day. Be with us in these moments of quiet, these moments of listening, these moments of being drawn closer to you by the Spirit. Amen. You know, when we began this series on forgiveness, I shared with you how important I believe that this practice is to our faith. It seems like every time we turn around, there is an opportunity to practice forgiveness. I always love that saying about patience, that God is, doesn't give you patience, but God gives you the opportunity to be patient. And I wonder sometimes if forgiveness is like that too. To go through life without the skills and the heart of forgiveness would mean to give up on the hope of our faith. I have lamented the tragic situations over the past week. The murder of 26 people in Texas. The shooting of a local police officer really right down the street in Portsmouth. And numerous sexual assault and harassment accounts from women across the country. Those who are involved in these events will deal with the effects long after the news media goes silent. Their pain and worry and trauma will forever change them. All of these moments remind us of our human frailty and the great need that we have for forgiveness. In every moment of fault or cruelty, we see those who need to be forgiven and those who need to forgive. These areas of responsibility overlap in many cases, but in others, like those of violence and extreme tragedy, there's typically a clear delineation. And when we see those extreme cases, we may wonder is it possible to forgive even the most grievous of sins? Certainly, we have heard people around us utter the phrase, I could never forgive him, or I will never forgive her. These approaches seem to be accepted when acts of cruelty or violence have occurred. We're faced with that question of whether violent offenders should be forgiven. Maybe even more difficult is wondering how to forgive those who have done those heinous acts. An individual can endure the consequences for one's actions and still be forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't erase the very real circumstances and hurt in those violent acts. Forgiveness does not excuse the behavior. But forgiveness does make room for healing to occur. Holding someone accountable for their actions doesn't necessarily mean that we force the person to suffer What they inflicted on another person. In South Africa, one of the goals of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was to hold violent offenders accountable by having them face the victims of their crimes and the victims' families. By hearing those stories of pain and hearing about what what their actions caused, the offenders were able to offer genuine and heartfelt apologies not just empty words in order to gain amnesty. In Desmond and Mepho Tutu's book, they outline some of those steps that a person in need of forgiveness needs to follow. Whether the individual committed a violent crime or not, the steps are essentially the same. They're listed in your sermon notes today. The first is admitting the wrong. The individual who committed that hurtful action needs to admit that they have done something wrong in the first place. An honest look at the truth frees the individual on that path of healing. We learn from John 8, as Jesus reveals his relationship to God, he utters those words, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus himself, the the true word of God, knows that by being faithful to his teachings and by trusting in him, the disciples will be set free from sin. And the truth can be a very hard thing to confront in our lives, but ultimately, even if the truth stings, it leads us to wholeness in Jesus Christ. That second step that they talk about in the book is witnessing the anguish and apologizing. The one who's done the harm must listen well and hear that very real pain that they've caused the other person. Through this empathy, the one who has committed the offense is able to utter those words, right? I'm sorry. I have been teaching these pre-marriage seminars with Tidewater Pastoral Counseling, and we talk a lot about sort of the things people say before one gets married, the advice, the tips that people give. And one of the sayings that's become popular over the years, um, over recent years, has been, love means never having to say you're sorry. Love means never having to say you're sorry, right? But we know that's not true. (laughs) What we know is that what love really means is that at any given moment, I might have to apologize, (laughs) right? That's what love means. In all of our relationships, it isn't just that we will need to apologize because, of course, we will. Um, But it's that love motivates us to be ready and to be sincere in that apology. Forgiveness grows out of love, and love grows out of forgiveness, The third step that the tutus talk about in their book is asking for forgiveness. And to do so really brings you to that place of humility. It can be difficult to ask for forgiveness, especially if the person may not feel that they are worthy. It's a bold request. And of course you can't guarantee that the other party is actually going to forgive you. The story of Jesus and the thief on the cross gives us a picture of Jesus' heart even until the very end of his life. Throughout Jesus' torture leading up to his crucifixion, he's taunted with these words, Save yourself, right? Go on, Jesus. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really who you say you are, save yourself. Those around him add insult to injury by concluding that his power must not really be power at all if he can't change the situation that he's in. In this moment that that we read from the scriptures, Jesus shows a different kind of power. He uses his power to save a man in need of hope and love, that thief who hangs next to him. This person interprets the taunt to point out that although they, the true criminals, are being killed for just reasons, Jesus is the innocent one. The thief reaches out in faith to the Son of God, asking to be part of God's kingdom. Remember me, Jesus, he humbly requests. And Jesus returns this act of faith with pure love and invites that criminal Convicted of serious crimes we can assume into the eternal love of God. The last piece of the individual who's seeking forgiveness is what we've already kind of addressed in our sermon series, that renewal or release of a relationship. We, um, you know, in most cases, reconciliation or renewal is God's best for us. And I really believe that in most cases... That's not only what we're called to do, but really what we can do. I believe that that is possible. But sometimes, of course, especially with what we're talking about today, those extreme examples, sometimes it's not possible, and it's best to release that relationship and free both people from the past. But, you know, to do that, to really experience that forgiveness, we have to get to a place where we don't wish ill on the other person. And that can be hard to do. We tend to talk about our hurts well into the future and recount them over and over again. I wonder what it would look like to forgive without that hatred and ill will to another person. In our other gospel text that we read this morning, it's about that, that woman that comes into Simon's house. She hears that Jesus is, is eating over there and she crashes the party. She shows her love and devotion to Jesus by washing his feet, using her hair as a towel, and anointing him with oil. As she shows that hospitality and care towards Jesus, Simon gets frustrated, right? And he questions Jesus' authority. He mutters to himself that if Jesus were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman that is, and he wouldn't approve. Jesus wants to show Simon another way. And he tells him that parable that's tucked in there as well about a lender and two debtors. One of the debts is higher than the other. And when the lender forgives both debts and both persons, Jesus asks Simon, which person would be more grateful, right, for that forgiveness? He easily answers, right? The one with the greater debt is going to be more grateful, Jesus then lifts up that woman's actions as an example of faith and love. Her love grows out of the forgiveness that she receives. She was bold to come to Jesus and to seek new life and renewal. And in that faith, Jesus boldly forgives her. Jesus does not hold on to her sin, nor does he chastise her or embarrass her in front of the group. Instead, he affirms her faith while the others are in awe of Jesus' power to forgive sins. This story and the one about the thief on the cross serve as reminders that Jesus Christ forgives our sins. That each person, um, even criminals or those that we see as unlovable, are able to be forgiven by God. And if they can be forgiven by God... Of course, we can too. Every person can be transformed by the love and forgiveness of God. Now, we all hope that what will grow out of our confession, our penitent hearts, our change, is not lifelong suffering and pain, but a call to love more, to show more grace, and a determination to do no harm. And that's the kind of commitment that makes forgiveness such a radical thing. In the wake of the shooting in the church in Texas, many Americans, and maybe some of us here, feel the nudge of fear. And we feel powerless in situations that we cannot control. When innocent people die in violent ways, we wonder about the changes in society and we worry about our own lives and the lives of those that we love. There's a writer um, who does a lot of blogging, Lori Stanley Roleveld, and she wrote this reflection and I want to read part of it. On the day the sanctuary where I worship the living God is violated by a gunman intent on his own ways, I would rather my loved ones, you don't skip a beat. Be about the work I know you are about, the work of being light in a dark world, for we are not surprised that trouble has come. I am now safe and trouble will have another day. Do what I know you do. Kneel in prayer before the sun rises. Read God's word and listen for his spirit. Put his word into action in your home, ministry, workplace, or on some foreign soil. Raise your children. Raise other people's children. Save those who are abandoned or trafficked or abused. Educate the young. Challenge the older. Treasure the very young. Treasure the very old. Heal the sick, search for wanderers, love your spouse, honor your parents, serve your community. Serve a community uncomfortable for you to serve. Abandon hate and do the work of reconciliation. The poetry of her blog post continues on. But I found that writing very poignant. Each day we are to be those who do the work of God's kingdom by the way that we live our lives. Serving others and praying and teaching young people are all ways that we live out the gospel. And forgiveness is one of those things too. Enacting radical forgiveness is a profound way to point to Christ. With Jesus' help, we can forgive those who are the most unlovable, And the most violent in our midst. So let us be about the work. The work of love. The work of forgiveness. And the work that is born out of Jesus' radical example. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.